Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Karthik Krishnaya and Christopher Harris here for worldsoccertalk.com. We're bringing you a special bonus episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, This week, we have interviews with uh, three people, and uh, two of them you know probably pretty well. The third, not so much, but you should know. And uh, those people are Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar, and last but not least, uh, Steve Palese. Uh, Steve Palese is uh, the producer responsible for ESPN FC, so bringing you the nightly coverage of uh, soccer news and discussion from around the world. So uh, in that interview, we get into more the nitty-gritty of the show and uh, some of the personalities that come on the broadcast and uh, some of the insight in terms of uh, how hard or how easy it is to produce that show with, with the talent that they have. Uh, and we also have the interviews with Sebastian Salazar, who is uh, oftentimes uh, one of the hosts, the rotating hosts for ESPN FC. And then last but not least, uh, Hercules Gomez, uh, U.S. international, uh, played in Liga MX, played in the United States, uh, in MLS and USL, and uh, a very outspoken figure. And then actually somebody that uh, is uh, actually all three of these guys are quickly rising names in uh, the soccer industry. And uh, so we sat down with all three in Miami, downtown Miami, uh, before El Clasico Miami to get their thoughts on uh, on soccer and television coverage, especially. Kartik, any, any thoughts in particular or any um, interesting moments in these interviews that uh, that you were interested in, particularly that you think the, interest, uh, the listeners would be interested in? I don't want to insult anyone else that I've interviewed in the past, but Sebastian Salazar was as cool as I thought he'd be uh, in person, as cool as his television demeanor is. And, and I love the guy. He's, to me, one of the emerging young stars in, in American soccer broadcasting, uh, as cool, as knowledgeable, as passionate in person conducting this interview as he is on the ESPN FC set or as he used to be uh, uh, at Comcast Sportsnet doing D.C. United games in, in the Washington, D.C. area when I would see him. On, the, on those broadcasts. So really enjoyed talking to him. Um, could have talked to him all afternoon, honestly. Uh, <laughs> great guy. Uh, uh, Hercules Gomez, one of the emerging former U.S. men's national team players in the commentary um, commentary uh, uh, arena. But unlike other former U.S. men's national team players, wasn't a chosen one. Didn't go through the glorious route to get to the national 
national team had to work and claw his way through the lower divisions, uh, both here in the United States and USL and in Mexico, to get to Major League Soccer. Became a star in Major League Soccer. Still couldn't get consistent call-ups to the national team. Got written off at one point by uh, the national team, even uh, after the Copa America in 2007. Still pushed his way up. Went to Mexico. Became the leading scorer uh, in the league in adverse circumstances as an American. Uh, for first and only time that's happened with an American uh, leading uh, Liga, Liga MXI Emekis in, in scorings and then ends up on a World Cup team. So his perspective is different and it's important, I think, for all fans of American soccer to listen to his perspective. I'm not saying that the perspectives of guys like uh, like the Alexi Lawless and the Taylor Twelmans and the Eric Winaldos, who were and those guys all have different opinions, obviously, uh, that were on fast track to the U.S. men's national team and through the youth national teams from the time they were teenagers. Yeah. Uh, should be discounted compared to Gomez's, but Gomez comes from a completely different perspective. He had a great national team career. He played in a World Cup. He played in, in a Gold Cup. He played in a Copa America. So he had a decorated U.S. men's national team career, but he's a guy that took a completely different route to get to the national team. And I think that shapes a lot of his commentary perspectives and makes him a unique and important voice out there. And then uh, talking to Steve Police was, was a, a thrill for me because um, I watch ESPN FC as religiously as anyone does and, and uh, was able to get a lot of my questions about the talent and guys like, like Stuart Robson and Paul Mariner, et cetera, answered as well as the general tenor of the show and, and the future of the show. So this will be a great listen for all our, uh, all our uh, listeners and people who are media junkies and people who are just soccer fans. So, Kartik, I was uh, really pleasantly surprised by how outspoken Sebastian Salazar and Hercules Gomez uh, were. Uh, and that's the thing, though, too. It just seems to be within the environment within ESPN. I mean, going back to last week's, last week's interview with Taylor Twelman, but also with, with Sebastian and Hercules, there's no holds barred. They, they're, they're calling it as they see it. Uh, they're, they're being critical at times. They're being very open. But um, that type of... Um, Repertoire, I think, is, is really encouraging, and it's, it makes me want to listen to them more. Uh, also, listening to the Max and Herc podcast that Max Bradus and Hercules Gomez does is really enlightening in terms of um, them just being themselves, uh, sharing their opinions, and again, sometimes they're critical, and that's okay. There's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Max engaged in soccer is good. I mean, that's an important voice in the soccer world that we've lost, and I, I guess it's it's a it's an it's a good thing uh, from a soccer perspective. If you look at it, that we've taken a guy who was a soccer guy and graduated him to covering all sports, mainstream sports. Uh, he's now a very visible figure on ESPN uh, for fans of NFL and NBA and, and everything else, right, who watch SportsCenter. But uh, I miss him doing soccer. So I like that podcast because uh, he, he gets to dip his toe back into it. It. And you realize Max is really still very passionate about the sport. He's not a guy who used the sport to advance his career and then turned his back on us. Uh, right. There are people who've done that in the past. I'm not naming names, but um, so yeah, I love that podcast as well. Yeah, I was just really encouraged by the culture within ESPN in, in terms of them encouraging their uh, spokespeople to be to be outspoken, to to call it the way they see it, and it's so refreshing because you have you hear interviews from time and uh, time and time again with other people from other networks and a little bit more guarded. It looks like they went through media training. They're saying, you I mean they're answering the question, but not really answering the question. Uh, and I think uh, in some ways Don Garber is probably a perfect exa example of that. Uh, you I mean he's a spin master. Um, 
as well as many, many other people in the business, even in the English soccer side of business, you name it. So to hear kind of original, fresh voices with unique opinions is refreshing. And I do encourage the listeners after they've listened to these podcasts is to go back or in the future, watch ESPN FC, uh, subscribe to the Max and Herc podcast, try to tap into these guys a little bit more. And also, even on social media, Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar incredibly opinionated you look at their twitter feeds it's like whoa i can't believe they're saying this which is which is wonderful to hear that you have these types of opinions salazar is a great twitter follow in fact i I engage with him a lot on twitter because he's very very opinionated and we disagree often but i mean we have we have really good discussions back and forth and i and i think about my position sometimes I, i i alter my position uh there is a culture i think at espn that fosters this 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 discussion and debate and starts right from the top of that ESPN FC show, Dan Thomas doesn't leave things unchallenged. It's very di- different than necessarily the, the the atmosphere you might see on Fox or NBC. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some people, they don't like that. The ESPN FC show tends to be pretty argumentative. Uh, you have Craig Burley in the chair. We talk about this with Steve Police. Uh, you're going to get that environment. And then you bring in a guy like Hercules Gomez. Uh, you have a guy like Seb Salazar host. You have a guy, guys like Steve, Stevie Nickel and Shaka Hislop, incredibly seasoned, incredibly opinionated. And then every now and then you bring, you're bringing in Stuart Robson. Um, it's it's must see TV for me, and uh, that 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 kind of carried over to the way they handled themselves in the interviews with us. Going yeah. back to uh, uh, the interview we did the other day uh, uh, last week with with Taylor Twelman, same thing. And all three interviews, like before, I just want to finish up here, wrap up here to, to Kartik. All three interviews are very different. Steve Palese is uh, pretty short and to the point. Some some great information about how insight, getting an understanding of how ESPN FC works from a, the person that manages, who produces the entire show, along with, with his, his team. Uh, the interview with Sebastian Salazar is a little bit long-winded, but what he's saying is very interesting. Uh, so it's just hang in there. And then with Hercules Gomez, he's more laid back um, and talks for longer period of time in terms of the interview length, but goes into some really interesting analysis and, and, and perspective and, and insight, one of which is uh, asked the question in terms of uh, why, how, how did he end up at ESPN? How did Fox lose Hercules Gomez? Because this is a young, up-and-coming person who uh, speaks English and Spanish fluently, knows uh, the Mexican League just as well as he, as he knows the, uh, the U.S. leagues and Canadian leagues. And it would be a perfect fit for, I mean, the World Cup. I mean, how did Fox lose this guy? And he goes into detail about that. So it's really, really uh, interesting listening, I think, on all three parts. So hang in there. Listen to the podcast. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, come back on, on uh, every Thursday on the Will Soccer Talk podcast, which is released on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. Sebastian Salazar, you're uh, uh, the new boy in, in a sense on ESPN FC, but you've done a lot of soccer before, obviously, MLS games, uh, DC United, and uh, work with NBC, Comcast. Talk about your, your broadcasting background, because you did hockey, you did some other sports with Comcast, uh, but you're a soccer guy, first and foremost. So how was it to make the transition from doing other sports and taking what you learned calling hockey, a lot of guys have done that, JP, Del Camera, and others, uh, to your soccer style? You know, my broadcasting background was actually more in kind of the regional sports, local sports 
generic sports markets. And so I kind of came up really more learning how to do sports on TV than specifically soccer. Honestly, when I came out of college, a job like this didn't exist. So I didn't even have the idea, the opportunity to like, this was my dream job. Now I can say that it was, but I didn't have, there wasn't enough work in this field when I came out of school. So I kind of went through really small market, uh, still really, really small market, but slightly bigger on my way up to CSN in Houston and then eventually Mid-Atlantic where I did a lot of sports. The opportunity in Houston was great because it was soccer focused. My primary role there was the Dynamo guy. So reporting on it in a newscast, uh, sideline reporting, not play-by-play because we had Glenn Davis there, um, but kind of mixing in some different roles around soccer. And honestly, the way they let me cover it there was incredible. I had all the resources that the Texans guys had. I traveled when I needed to. I had all the resources that the Astros guys had. Um, it was a really unique setup there. It didn't last. When I got back to CSN, they still had the DC United broadcast deal. And it was a natural fit. I'd interned there as a kid in college. I'd worked in digital media there. I'd always wanted to go back home. It's where I'm from. And so all things were great. And then DC United left. And that was really tough for me because I, I knew that I had been brought back and that was my primary role. And I kind of wondered what was next if I was as useful around the shop. Well, they found roles for me. You know, I became the, the Caps, as you mentioned, pre and post host. I did the same for the Wizards in the season before I left. I did fantasy football. I did American football shows. I did a post-game show for the Redskins. And all that stuff was great, but it wasn't soccer. And having had the taste of soccer, both in Houston for a year in D.C., specifically the experience at the Olympics, where I was doing it every single day at kind of a, a really high exposure level, when I got back that last fall to Mid-Atlantic and I looked at my schedule and there was no soccer anywhere realistically on the horizon, mm-hmm. um, it hurt. And I was so happy there. I love the people. Um, I met my fiance through CSN Mid-Atlantic. So um, I've grown up with a lot of those people. Like I said, they've known me since I was like a 20, 19-year-old kid. But I started to think, you know, and, I, and I've made, I've had this conversation in my head before, like, when's the time to jump to all soccer? When is, when is the moment? As clearly it's what I'm better at than the other stuff. And internally, it's what I enjoy more. You know, if I'm going to have to study a sport, I'd rather have to watch four soccer games than watch a hockey game. That's just my personal preference. So I think, you know, those other experiences, while they didn't necessarily prepare me in terms of you know, the content, they prepared me in, in the sense that I, I became much, a much better conversation manager, right? I, I realized that you don't need to know everything about a sport to run a good show about it, to have a good conversation. And so really specifically the Caps role prepared me for that because hockey was a sport that I didn't have a great background in. I mean, I grew up a Caps fan because I grew up in D.C., I could barely skate. So like, you know, it was, it was something where I had to learn everything that I could. Then I had to lean on my analysts and I had to get to know them and know what would set them off, what their hot buttons were, what fans were talking about. Really the the hockey experience to me opened my eyes to the power of what's happening in the fan conversation and how if you address that in an honest way, Mm you'll be received well. The content has a better chance to catch folks' attention, go viral, whatever it is that you know the executives want. Yep. 
if you're really listening to what fans are saying, and even as a fan, I would say, of soccer myself, engaged in that conversation, um, I think you open a different you know, way of talking about the sport that maybe in, in the past in television, it was just up to the producer and the talents. And sometimes we get in a little bit of a bubble, and we don't, the obvious thing that everybody's talking about, we ignore because maybe the analyst just, ah, oh, well, that's just nothing. Or, or the host is like, well, I don't want to talk about that. You know, that's not real stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not doing a show for me. I'm not doing it for the, the other, the, the ex-player on the desk. You're doing mm-hmm. it for the people watching. So right. the, the other sports experiences were really, I think, critical in that regard. So in terms of ESPN FC, which you host fairly often now, uh, you and Dan Thomas alternate, mm-hmm. uh, you push those buttons. You seem to be more in tune with... <laughs> The conversations. Maybe it's because you're on Twitter, right? right you see right, what right. we're talking about on Twitter. But you push those buttons, and with guys like Herc on set and, and, and Burley and Stevie Nickel, you have opinionated guys. And, and, and do you go into a show uh, knowing if you push a certain button, Burley's going to react a certain way, uh, or does it just kind of happen? You know, there are characters on our show. I mean, Craig's one of them. Ali's one of them. Like, everybody kind of plays a role, and. When I first got there, having watched the show, I didn't know how much of that you could count on or how much of it was just how a guy's reacting in a moment. The more you're around these guys, you get their personalities. Look, we don't just walk into the set and do the show. We're in the same office together and like Craig and Stevie and Paul Mariner when he's there and Ale and Herc, like we're not quiet guys. So when we get in around and we're talking about the things, I might pick up on, okay, that's where I need to go with that person because that's the element of this conversation that they're the most into, the most passionate about. They're going to have the, the strongest opinion on. I really look at it as I, it is my job to put my guys, and that's not to say my guys like I'm their boss, but my teammates in the best spot to succeed. And the only way to do that is to know what their strength is, what the thing is that they really want to hit. I'm not going to ask Herc something that's not going to tee him up. I'm not going to ask Craig something that I don't think is going to bring the best out of Craig. So I really do spend a lot of time preparing, trying to know, okay, I think this guy might react this way. I think this guy might react that way. But the truth is, a lot of those plans go out the window because the show is so free-flowing um, and somebody says something, and either I will be like, oh, well, you didn't say that yesterday, or a week ago you said something contradictory, or we have great producers, Louise and Pete, and they'll pop in my ear and they'll be like, hey, that's not what he said last week, get <laughs> him! And, you know, and sometimes I think people, m- my hosting style is very, I like to think, like, casual and, like, laid back, but um, I become more aggressive on this show, and sometimes it's not necessarily me, it's the producer being like, Get him, get him, get him, get him. And, and I, there's that element to the show that is that is interesting and that I think drives uh, kind of the barroom feel of the show, right? You feel yeah. like you're listening to people shooting the bull in a bar about soccer in much the same way that you would, just maybe with a little bit more context and background on the sport. So covering two MLS teams as closely as you did, mm-hmm. two with, from my personal experience being media, very different styles yeah. of engaging the media. And, and I, I, I personally would think Houston is, is near the top in MLS as far as engagement and listening to their fans. DC United is not. Uh, how does that shape your perspective? Because obviously there are two teams in the same league. You covered them very closely. You hosted uh, shows on, on both those teams. But the difference in approach and the difference in fan engagement 
did that does that do something to shape your perspective as you go into a national role now? You know, I think MLS is such, and I know that they do operate very differently, Houston and DC. But MLS is in such a unique spot where, having covered other sports, right, I see how the media is engaged at other levels. And it's not the same. Other teams don't need the media. Let's be honest. MLS is competing in, like, really difficult markets. Houston is a crowded sports market. D.C. is a crowded sports market. And D.C. is also not a great sports market because half the people in D.C. think that whatever they're doing in the political world is more important than sports. I'm going to be A lot of them are my friends, right? That's the city I live in. So um, there's almost this need... And this expectation on the media side that I'm going to get more help from MLS. They're going to reach out to me more. They're going to reach across the divide. And every team does that differently. So I think really where I see it, the context that I put it in is not necessarily what happens within an MLS, how teams operate differently. Because, again, let's be honest, different teams have different budgets. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I know some of the internal stuff at DC. I know some of the internal stuff at Houston. And I would say that those two teams operate with different financial realities, yeah. okay? So I look at it just more as like what an MLS team has to do in its market. And there are some who, because they're in markets where it's not as crowded, um, might have some of the luxuries or might have to do some of the things that those in crowded markets do. But um, I've enjoyed seeing MLS teams kind of grow into more and more aggressive um, in their media relations. I think... You can't overstate that enough because as much as like we want to do something on ESPN FC mm-hmm. and it's a great show, it is not across the board. If you're a DC United or a Houston Dynamo, you want to get on the soccer shows, but that can't be enough. You need right. to get mainstream. You need right. to get in places where you're in the same conversations as the Texans, as the Redskins. And actually, I'm going to be very honest here. It's one of the reasons I was really disappointed in DC United's decision to leave CSN Mid-Atlantic. Personally, it hurt me, right? Because I was like, oh, well, that's the thing I love to do. But as a former employee of DC United and as somebody who knows that market really, really well, mm-hmm. they left a place where they were going to be in the conversation with the Redskins, Caps, and Wizards to go to a place where they were going to be on an island. And I think it was a huge mistake. And I think it's linking in to other sports is really critical as opposed to, and you guys have probably heard this, uh, term thrown out there a lot, chasing the Euro snob, you yeah, know? Right. Maybe, maybe that's a really, really small percentage of the game here. And I think MLS is now more and more turning its attention to mainstream sports fans, trying to bring those people into the umbrella, as opposed to trying to convert the people who are militant, you know, Premier League is the best, anything below it, I'm not going to watch. You know, Champions League is the best, anything below it, I'm not going to watch. I think those people are becoming less and less a priority. How about Mexican national team fans, fans of Mexican clubs? Uh, what does MLS need to do? And what do, does American soccer in general need to do to capture them? Because they, you talk about the Eurostoms being this big. That group is this big. Yes, absolutely. And we're not connecting with them either. Look, if I had this answer um, for sure, I would be sitting not in this hotel room with you guys. I'd be sitting in a corner office at Fox or ESPN <laughs> or Univision or whatever it might be. I think the, the kind of most obvious quick fix is the Mexican player, right? Um, You have to bring in Mexican players, quality Mexican players. But when I say Mexican players, I don't necessarily just mean 
guys with a Mexican passport. Guys who have ties to the Mexican league can also be extremely valuable. Guys who have played for Club América, Tigres, uh, Monterrey, big clubs with massive followings in the United States. Of course, if it was Chivas, it would be a guy with a Mexican Mexican background. But those guys who have a brand with a Mexican fan can also be really valuable. I'll give you an example. I was really bummed when... Darwin Quintero didn't end up in MLS. Remember those yeah, rumors yeah. at the beginning of the year linked to San Jose? One, I think he's a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I, th- you know, I think he would have had a, a good impact in that market. I think he would have fit very well. But I also think it was the opportunity to test the theory of, hey, it doesn't have to be a Mexican to engage the Mexican fan. But Darwin Quintero is known as well to the Mexican fan as most Mexican players. Right. He's been in the league. He's been a star. You know, the link with André Pierre Gignac. Of course, he's French. But now he's Tigres, right, so right. it's it's that those brands that you're chasing. All the so you bring to the show a perspective on a Mexican American and understanding the level of expectations Osorio has to go through and the relationship between the FMF and uh, and and the clubs in Mexico versus here where we as soccer people let's face it we exist in a vacuum and maybe on the ESPN FC show you're speaking to that vacuum. But how, how do you balance that? Because at the same time, you're, you, you're used to a Mexican culture that is off the charts. It's like England. Yeah. So let's start with some context, I think, on how we got here. I think a lot of the difference between American press and, let's just say, foreign press, it's painting with a broad brush, but I, I think it's pretty accurate here. In other parts of the world, you don't have access. So you can say whatever you want. So you never have to face up to it. Here, we get access. Mm -hmm. Fans like that access. But at the same time, there's a different way in which you interact with somebody, in which you will speak about something when you have to go back again and again and again to that well. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. That's the culture of American sports media. We get access. But at the same time, we can't kill people who we have access to because we think that there's a, you know, that's a river, a line you don't want to cross. So I think that sets us up in one way for where we are. The other thing is the American soccer media here has always had kind of a second unspoken task and that is to grow the sport. And I think a lot of people get confused when they hear grow the sport with being positive about soccer. Okay. And maybe when I was a kid, the nineties, you needed to be positive because there was a lot of people that didn't know the sport. So if you came out bashing it, you would not help yourself, your own cause. Yeah. Now there's enough people here that know it. And growing the sport cannot be limited to speaking positively about the sport. I watch Football Picante every single night. Those guys kill everybody. They kill everybody and their mother. And it's super entertaining. And Herc and I have this debate all the time, right? I'm like, man, I want to be like having an English football picante. We just talk and we just like kill everybody. And he's like, dude, we can't do that. And, you know, and he, but he gets it too because he watches the show and he watched it there. And man, players in Mexico watch that show. You know, that's how big of a deal it is. So I think, and let me give you an example in English. On Inside the NBA, which everybody says is the best studio show ever, right? Do those guys, like, hold back? Do they not kill guys? Mm-hmm. I mean, look at what Shaq did with JaVale McGee. Like, they went in on him hard. So I think there's 
part of an evolution that we're going through. Um, and, I, and I think we're all kind of realizing like, hey, we, we need to be more critical. At the same time, as you mentioned with Osorio, there's also a level of expectation that then becomes unrealistic and impossible to fulfill. And that can turn a job like the Mexican national team manager position, which should be a highly regarded job, into a job that as we continue down this path in Mexico, nobody's going to want to take. Because you're, A, never going to reach the expectations. If you're not from Mexico, you're always going to be battling up that hill. And, which is frankly not fair. It's xenophobia. You yeah. Know, xenophobia in a, in a soccer sense. And he's sense. faced it. Osorio was facing oh, it every absolutely. day. That, I mean, they received him at the airport telling him to go back to his country. I mean, that's uh, awful, ugly, horrible stuff. Um, and yet it's that passion that makes Liga Mekis and the Federation, Femex Foot, huge business down there. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we want passion. I hope we never get to the point where we're telling a foreign-born coach to go back to his country in an airport, but we need to get to a place where people are riled up about things, really intense. Last question for me. How do you balance that? Uh, I, I equate it, and I've said this often on Twitter, you've probably seen this, that a lot of American soccer journalists equate U.S. soccer with a cause. And I will admit... Ten years ago, I was the same way. I was very defensive about MLS. I was very defensive about the national team. I think we've gotten past that point. Uh, how do you balance that on the show? Because you know you have Craig Burley, who, who's very opinionated. You have guys like Ali and, and Shaka, who are opinionated as well, to where you don't seem like you're bashing, but you're giving that critical analysis. So I think it's you don't flip a switch, right? I, I came here and, you know, especially when I started working with Herc and I had somebody who I could kind of relate to in that way. I was like, dude, we got to be like football picante. We got to stop talking about like three, four, three. And we got to start talking about like, was it good enough? And there's, there's steps you take to get there, right? You, you can't go from zero to 60. One, because your audience probably isn't ready for it. It would be a, a drastic shock Two. We do still. We are still in the United States. We still do have access. We still do deal with relationships, right? And so, if suddenly I show up on ESPN FC with like a flamethrower, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to ruffle some feathers. And you you have to kind of pick your battles. You have to pick your moments when you think kind of a, a more intense, critical conversation is worth it. And I think the more of those we have. The better they come off, we like. For instance, the Osorio conversation, we got really good feedback on that. Um, the Martinique, the, the conversation about the United States after the Martinique yeah. game, we got really good feedback. And you off were of the that. only one having that discussion. I was at the game, and it was a very different feel than right. your show the next day. And I'm personally thank you for that show. Yeah, and and I think that's where we go. We 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 continue to 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 push the buttons to push the envelope and we're when we do that we're going to cross some lines and upset some people and you know hopefully we don't upset the wrong people the wrong times <laughs> you know but you, that's that's part of being in the media you talk and sometimes people get upset and hopefully you know the players and management and other media and fans have a thick skin you know because i think that's where we need to get to so one of the things Hercules, uh, i've noticed is that you're very in a great way, very outspoken. Uh, you know, you, you don't put, pull any punches. You say it as you see it. Where does that come from? Because because that's in, in today's broadcast world, 
that's actually kind of rare to find somebody, somebody with some really honest opinions that's not, not afraid to share them. Yeah, I didn't go to college, probably, because from that, I'm not very smart. <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I've just, I've been around for, I'm fairly young in this broadcast world, but uh, I had a 17-year career, and I got to see a lot, and sometimes you hear people just say things to say things, and I think a lot of people in this country are very misinformed about the game, or there's it's such a niche sport still that... You know, your reality might not be their reality, so uh, sharing my thoughts, I think people appreciate that. And, you know, I, I've enjoyed it. I, I like interacting with people on social media, and I like hearing different opinions. And listen, my my words are not absolute truths. They're just my perception of things. Sure. And, and, you know, sometimes people take to them, and sometimes they don't agree to it. And that's it's all good. Now, with ICC, I mean, it's you know, some of the best teams from around the world. What impact would uh, having, say, a Liga uh, MX club in the future maybe participating in this tournament? I know the timing is difficult, but yeah. what, what type of impact could that have on, on the league in the United States among maybe, say, English-speaking uh, fans or soccer fans? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I dare say it's probably the most popular league in the United States. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, based on numbers, I think it's pretty evident. Yeah. Um, and it's funny you say timing would be an issue because Liga MX has shown that they don't care about timing. Mm-hmm. They will, if it makes money for them, they will put it on. They will put it on. Uh, they will host the event. I remember when I was at Santos in Santos Laguna, uh, I believe it was 2013. We played a game Friday night against uh, Puebla. Right after our game, we took a charter to Las Vegas, and we played Sunday night versus Real Madrid. You know, at Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas, and drew great numbers, uh, great reception. Um, we actually played very well that game. We lost 2-1, mm-hmm. but we were con- controlling the whole game and uh, had our chances. Actually missed a few chances. Uh, could have been a different outcome, but uh, it was it was a great measuring stick for us. It was a great event for the fans. Liga Mekis to showcase themselves. I think they've gotten stronger in recent years with the influx of foreign talent that's come through. It's a very exciting league. It's a league that keeps on growing, mm-hmm. uh, not only in Mexico but in this country. So for Liga MX to come here, it's just another market for them to try to exploit. Yeah, but it'd be great. To, I, think, I think in the future, it'd be great to have, uh, say, I don't know, uh, Chivas or whichever team yeah. involved in ICC to make it even well, more. It would make, it would make sense. It's one of the most popular teams that's followed in the United States. And when right. we talk about Real Madrid and Barca's reach, you know, Chivas, uh, their reach here within the United States, maybe not globally, but mm-hmm. definitely here right. within the United States, yeah. it's, it's very big. One, 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 one more question. Okay. I was thinking about in terms of uh, Copa America, Copa Centenario, your analysis on the Fox Studio was was incredible. It, it was kind of breathtaking. I was really pleasantly surprised. I was like, "Wow, this guy well, is, that, makes, is... that makes two of us." <laughs> <laughs> but, but as far as communication skills about about kind of analysis and, and what happened though, like, how, it, did it become that ESPN came, came to you and said, "Okay, we need you," or why, why well, didn't it work out at Fox? Well, you know, I so I knew I was going to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'd come from Mexico, Liga Mekis, and I was making uh, a certain amount. And to go to the United States and be like, okay, I know that I'm going to make less, uh, not in the United States, but in MLS because I ended up playing in, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to take less money. And it ended up being where if I could play for another two, three years because physically I felt fine. But I would be letting opportunities go by and it was a calculated risk and maybe these opportunities wouldn't be there. And when I joined Fox for the Cup of America uh, broadcast, I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I learned so much in, in that eight, ten day span I was there from... Alexi, Rob Stone, Fernando Fiore. Like, honestly, it, it opened my eyes to the possibilities after soccer. And I was, I always enjoyed the game, um, but I was very wary of what came next. I wanted to be ready for whatever came next. I had played on, I probably played on over fourteen teams, professional teams, you know, on different levels. And 
I've had so many different ex-colleagues and when they retire the first thing they tell me is like have something ready because it comes at you fast and when it comes at you if you're not ready right. you know it could be very bad and I've always always thinking about what came next and be quite honest I always had this idea of going into like a sports management or a sports administrative uh, role mm-hmm. you know whether it's GM or sporting director or something like that and this kind of just happened I did an MLS live thing one time um, you know when in New York my wife and I flew out uh, enjoyed New York for a weekend and did the playoffs for MLS um, it was a YouTube you know one of those digital segments it was right. live and kind of had fun with it and out of that um, I think Stu Holden actually was a reason I ended up working with with Fox he gave me a shout and he's like hey do you mind if I give uh, my producer your number uh, mm-hmm. we spoke about you and you know he wants to talk to you and called me when I was in Mexico with my wife on vacation and he said when are you going to be in LA told him uh, I had a meeting with David Neal and mm-hmm. within 15 minutes of talking to David Neal he looks over at me and he says I like you can you work this summer? And I said, no. <laughs> I, I I'm play, tied up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I play soccer for a living. He's like, well, you guys have a break. Would, would you want to come out to Los Angeles and work it? And I was just like, sure. You know, that sounds good. And mm-hmm. When I got there, it just kind of happened. I didn't know that I'd be working studio. I was supposed to call games. And right. one one day, David Neal came up to me. It was, I think it was day number two. And he's like, so you're just going to do studio now, taking off your games. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, man. Was I that bad my first game? And he's kind of looking at me. I could he can see that in my eyes. It's not it's not clicking. It's not registering. And he's like, "It's a good thing." And yeah. I'm like, uh, uh, "You know, okay." And then I come to realize that that's a good thing. You know, sure. you want to be there, and it, it gave me uh, more reps, which mm-hmm. I learned are crucial. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, being with the likes of I don't think people realize or appreciate somebody like Alexi. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot from him in those ten days and those eight days. Uh, he he's a showman, right. and what he does is it's really art, you know? mm-hmm. and 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 he gets people to engage whether they agree with him or not. He gets you to engage, <laughs> and that's right. that's that's talent. Um, people don't realize that, and I learned a little bit of that from him. And from there, it just it just happened where Fox kind of, to be quite honest, they they wanted me and they were going to create a position, but they didn't have the program at that time at that time and mm-hmm. I, I think they were still kind of hesitant on Champions League what was going to happen and ESPN can came out of nowhere had a car wash with them you know interviews right. yeah and uh kind of came in out of nowhere put pressure and the last day Univision kind of stepped in and mm-hmm. by that point it was kind of too late I'd already made up my mind and my wife and I ended up on a Connecticut adventure <laughs> how, how uh, was that summer, last summer? Uh, you're playing for the Sounders. How did yeah. Siggy and the Sounders uh, treated, and uh, were they supportive of you uh, doing that during the break? Yeah, so so I had, the way my deal was structured with MLS uh, when I came to Toronto, I would have been a free agent in the summer, and I would have been able to negotiate and sign with any other team. And I, my wife and I really took to Seattle. We really enjoyed it, and I kind of already had planned to, to retire. So I didn't want to move again and pick up and move. So I told, um, I told the Seattle Sounders I was willing to play for a minimum contract, you know, and stay there to help them out. I know they wanted to bring in reinforcements. They brought in Nicolo Diero, and they, you know, they want to bring in some other people. So I said, no problem. Um, I will play for a minimum contract. I ask that you allow me to do these things that they present themselves, and they were very accommodating. When I had to go do the interview at the car wash for ESPN, you know, they, they let me miss a day of practice. When I had to be in Columbus with, with Fox for the Mexico-USA game, they they allowed me to miss a day of training, you know, all these other things to accommodate 
um, and they were very flexible. I think Siggy ended up leaving shortly after um, that happened, and Garth was more than accommodating. He sat me down and explained that he'd been through the same situation, and he thought what I what I was doing was very was very smart, mm-hmm. um, and and picked my I picked his brain, he picked my brain, and kind of went from there. But they were more than accommodating. When you moved to Liga MX, you'd had a pretty good career in MLS. Obviously, Colorado, Kansas City, uh, et cetera, Los Angeles. Uh, when you moved to Liga MX, were you, did you feel like you were taking a calculated risk? It was tough for no. an American player to break in. No, it wasn't calculated. It was just necessity. I moved to Liga MX not because I thought I could go test the waters and become something, because I didn't have a job. You know, Kansas City uh, set me in quote-unquote bona fide contract for the next four years, $70,000, and I... I <laughs> I'd, I'd won multiple MLS Cups. I'd been, been capped with the national team, Copa America. Capped with Copa America, Open Cup champion, uh, you know, Galaxy MVP on a year right. we won the double. Um, I'd been marked, I've been branded as a marquee player. I went into Colorado when we are building the new stadium. We opened yeah. the new stadium, scored the first goal in you know, the history of the Dick Sporting Goods Park. In the snow. I was there, right, actually. Right, the snow game. So there were certain things that they were, MLS was marketing me at certain times as a marquee player on my teams. And using that, and I was making the most I'd ever made was fifty-two thousand dollars gross a year. For them to come out with this contract, it was disheartening, you know. So I said no, and I started looking over at Greece, start second division Norway, first division Norway, Scandinavia, whatever it was. And this just kind of happened. It was a six-month deal. No, it wasn't great money. Went down to Puebla. First thing Chelis told me was, "Hey, I didn't bring you down here to play. Brought you down here to." work hard in training sessions so the starters don't feel like it's easy and every once in a while throw you a bone and ended up playing ended up you know winning a goal scoring title and things just kind of blossomed and flourished from there I, I felt that what I had done in MLS I should have already been in other parts of the world if you've had even if it, it was very minimal success but if you've had minimal success like that you would be compensated and it didn't happen and when I went to Mexico it kind of opened my eyes um all of a sudden, soccer became like a business. It got really real. Mm-hmm. How about the national team at the same time? Obviously, Charlie Davies has his car crash. That factors into it. But uh, you go from being a very good MLS player but hardly getting looks from the national right. team to being a regular because you go south of the border. Uh, is that something that you feel players still need to do if they're going to uh, shore up their national team position or in the World Cup year just like you were in 2009? I, so I, I always tell players the great thing about playing abroad is they only see you when you're good. You know, they only see the highlights. You okay. score a goal. You give an assist. You're you're on the score sheet with a winning team. Um, you play within MLS or in their backyard. They see you when you're good, but they also see you when you're bad. They see all your deficiencies. They see uh, how much you still need to mature. They see how much you still need to get better. Uh, you're you are judged differently than when you play abroad. People think playing abroad means you're so much of a better player. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have played, I had an opportunity to go play in Spain after I won the goal scoring title, but it was significantly less money than I would have made staying in Mexico. So there are other factors, mm-hmm. you know, for players to stay or go that maybe people don't understand. It's not as just cut and dry as it's, he's good or he's not. So you played uh, extensively in, in, in down, uh, south of the border, you played extensively in MLS, you've uh, played for the U.S. national team, played in the World Cup, uh, scored a bunch of goals. I saw you score a goal in qualifying yeah. here in Tampa down the road. That's right. Uh, c- compare. Um, the cultures in the sense of uh, 
Mexican fans are very demanding of, of their yes. national team and of yes. their players. You've talked a lot about this on the ESPN FC show. I sparred with Craig Burley about it. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't quite get the Mexican culture. The mentality is similar to Europe. Uh, yeah. do we, I think it's similar to England. It's, similar, it's, it's exactly the same as England. I've made that argument with even, Chris even, even the problems they're about to face with the influx of foreigners is exactly what the Premier League has faced the last 20-something-odd years. Right. So. Right. Yeah. right, and then Liga MX is, is, is dealing with... Uh, uh, reduced, other than Chivas, of course, reduced right. Mexican players. Uh, do we need, I mean, what's your perspective? Do you think we need to develop that same critical mentality, maybe not to the excess of Mexico yes. or England, but do yes. we need to develop I had this discussion with Sebastian Salazar. So Sebastian Salazar is a huge Mexican L3 fan. And he sat and asked me if I thought that the U.S. losing to Costa Rica would be a failure. And I said, I want you to hear me out. It's not a failure. And I will tell you why. If they lost in semifinals to Costa Rica and a tournament where they're the home team, they ended up losing to the, the second-best team in the tournament on paper right. uh, in a semifinal. And we have to put it in context of why it's not a failure because the amount of attention or scrutiny that one gets here is nowhere near because like you're equating it to Mexico. Yeah. It would be a failure in Mexico because the resources, how much is pumped into it, you know, where they're at, the attention it will get for the next month and a half of how this has been a failure. U.S. loses here. Bruce Arena's job is on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Like Juan Carlos Osorio's job on the line. You're not going to turn the TV on and it's going to be every hour on the hour, different shows discussing in different networks. Mm-hmm. You know, the outcome, the repercuss- repercussions of what's going on, the future, what it'll hold. Like That's when it becomes a failure. Yeah. When we get to that point in culture, that's when it'll be a failure. Now, that said, there has to be some sort of balance because... It can't be like England or Mexico where everything is is under a microscope for yeah, right. and whether you agree with it or not, it's a talking point. And English players never have a chance to breathe. Mexican players never have a chance to exactly. breathe. Exactly. Coaches also. Yeah. Pep's I mean, Pep Guardiola who's been considered probably the best coach in the world for I don't know how long. He on the daily has press conferences fighting with journalists. Yeah. Right. You know, so it, nobody's ever going to be happy. So you have to put things into perspective. Do you, do you think there's some things that Major League Soccer can learn from uh, Liga Mackies? Yes, and vice versa. Yes, absolutely. Vice, vice versa? Yes. Like, like some, some examples? Like... For, for example, I think it's very American, um, but the way that MLS markets itself, mm-hmm. the way that there's an MLS Cup or this Miami Classico and there's festivities and whatnot, right. um, the way they're organized, the way, the way that it's structured, Liga MX could use a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that Liga MX has their Fuerzas Básicas or their academies, mm-hmm. how they're structured, how they go through the pipeline, how they make money, how they scout players, the type of uh, talent or coaches they bring in to develop those talents. Those are things that MLS can really learn. And the great thing is FMF and Liga Mekis mm-hmm. are go hand in hand. They right. are one. Right. They are one. Like the like like I would assume that because MLS is a single entity, um, they should be one. Mm-hmm. You know, they they were developed because of U.S. soccer, but they're they're really not. Um, you had Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, and Don Garber kind <laughs> right. of going Classic. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would never happen in in league. I mean, they they try to pull forward. That said, they're is, doing a very bad job of pulling forward in Mexico together. With, yeah, is that is that an issue for a manager like Osorio? Let's let's take him for example. I mean, I, I covered him when he managed MLS, and I think very favorably of him. And uh, so do I. Well, so when he was at Man City, so. Um, 
and I know you do, you've been very defensive of him on the air. Uh, is it difficult for a manager to manage the Mexican national team with the with the FMF and the league this close to the point where it's the opening weekend of the league uh, season, he can't call in six reinforcements? It's, it's very, it's an improbable position because they demand so much out of him. And I've said it before, they demand more out of the Mexican national team coach than do the Mexican president mm-hmm. yeah. you know that's what the people demand and, and for good there's a reason for it you know it's their it's the biggest sport it's the only sport that really draws attention with the with the political climate the way it is it's one of the few joys the right. mexican republic or the people of the republic have um so i understand that said i mean he's expected to win gold cup with an a C team at best, maybe B team. Yeah. You know, no reinforcements, no help. He's not allowed to call in uh, foreign players, even though they have Mexican passports. Right, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a big one. I wanted yeah, to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's so you could call in Alustiz, you can call in Avila Surtado, um, like any other coach, like Bruce Arena. If somebody had a passport, like Dom Dwyer mm-hmm. did, yeah. and he can't do that. He's judged and measured differently than any other coach in the world. I would say. Yeah, and and what do you think is happening in Mexico? about that specific issue. Naturalized players, the league is getting more formed. You're getting so many guys who are Argentine or Brazilian. Right. I mean, we think about Senia and Gamma Franco and those players, but more and more of those, uh, Chaco Jimenez, those sorts of players who are never going to be called up for Argentina, you have that as a resource. Yeah, Why won't Me- the Mexican public accept? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, it's it's tradition for them. They they feel that it has to be Mexican bread. And it's funny because Chivas has this long-standing tradition of only yeah. feeling Mexican players, but they will feel Mexican Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and if you go to the to Chivas, you have to renounce any type of ties with the U.S. men's national team. You have to say, I am all in on Mexico and the Mexican national team for whatever reason. They see any foreign. Uh, bred or foreign-born mm-hmm. player as uh, a stigma. It's a stigma. They they won't be allowed to participate. They won't go out and just say it, but they won't call these players in. And it's to the point where Juan Carlos Osorio will deflect the question now. He will blatantly say, That's, listen, I do what I can with the players I can call. Mm-hmm. And he won't go into detail about how he feels about it. Or right. It's just the way it is in Mexico. It's crazy. Yeah. But, uh, about um, your transition to broadcasting, Studio work versus uh, being a co-commentator. You've been a lot in the ESPN FC studio, uh, sparring with Craig Burley, yeah. whatever. And then you some you have to transition the same day to doing a Euro game with Seb Salazar. Walk us through how you do that. How do you prepare for both on the same day? So I will tell you what that Monday was like. For example, I um, I do I would say I do eighty percent more Deportes than I do actually English. Oh, so you would see me a lot more on ESPN Deportes. Um, Sports Center, Football Picante, you know, all the other, like, well, during Gold Cup, I would do Toque Inicial, Raza Deportiva with Jorge, Ra- or with uh, Rafa Ramos, mm-hmm. uh, Sports Center, Capitanes, Radio Formula, Sports Center again, Football Picante, go to all these other things. And then, for example, I would have to go do, I've only done two games that I've called for ESPN, um, and they were the Euro Final, mm-hmm. the semi and Euro Final with Sebastian Salazar, and we did it in English, which was right. great. I, she called a handful of games in Spanish uh, for MLS and ESPN, and those have been really fun with Giovanni and Richard. You know, um, but it, it, switching it from English to Spanish has been the most difficult thing for me, not because of the language, but because of the styles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's much more. I'm on debate shows in Spanish, mm-hmm. and it's much more jump in and and get it going that way and back and forth. And instead of having 
six, seven minutes to talk on our segment, which is long, uh, you would have a whole hour. Wow. And you can do as much as you want. They're mm. not going to cut you off. And they kind of want those verbal exchanges. They're not hot takes. They're more analysis. And I enjoy that. And then when I go on the FC side, it has to be structured. It has to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to know that the ability to interchange isn't always going to be there. Like, you know, right. Craig and I had a good interchange. You know, Craig, Sebastian, and I, and, and, and whoever, I don't recall whoever else was there. We were talking about CONCACAF, and each one could give their points. Mm-hmm. And that would be it. And, you know, everybody, I think everybody is big enough to accept that your, your words aren't going to be law. So right. not everybody's going to agree with it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's been fun, but the ability to switch on and off in styles and languages can be, can definitely be uh, draining. And especially, I mean, I, I, I've never done this, so right. Right. Yeah. I, half the time yeah. I walk around looking like I don't know what I'm doing because yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. You know, I'm learning just like everybody else. So when but I have to yeah. do but, but, research on a game, yeah. you know, I, I, I get very mentally drained because I try to do as much as I can on it. Yeah. But it, but it seems like you're a natural at it from from what I've seen and what I've heard as far as... I'm a natural arguer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's half the battle. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's a great skill to have. What about the, like the next year? So, of course, ESPN doesn't have rights to the World Cup next year. Uh, ESPN FC, I'm imagining that you would still continue to be on, on the broadcast there. And any thoughts? Have they given you an idea in terms of the next 12 months? Like no. What you'd um, be involved in? I've, I've heard from a few bosses that they want to sit down with me and kind of give me a structured schedule because right now... Um, it gets very, very tiring. I, I my Mondays and Fridays are, are pretty crazy, and mm-hmm. you know uh, it's going to have to be a little bit more structured and, and going forward. Right. You know uh, to see what we're going to do, and I've been fortunate because these are all reps, and this yep. is what I need. Right. Um, I like I said, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, so <laughs> to be familiar and be in these different environments and to be like. Oh yeah, I've done this before. Okay, it's just like last time. Mm-hmm. That's gonna help. And going forward, I've got three bosses of the problem. I've mm-hmm. got three supervisors, in three different departments who I deal with. So international, FC, and deportes. So going forward, I guess like all four of us will have to sit down and kind of see what makes sense. Right. We don't have a ton of programming, but from what I've heard, sure. that's pretty much gonna change soon. Okay. So if that's the case, it's it's gonna be a lot more work, but probably more work that I'm that I could really sink my teeth into. Excellent. How important is the are, is getting those reps? Every time you're on ESPN FC uh, on, here on the English side, it's uh, it's it's something new. Craig Burley's always interesting, and he's always ready to, right, right. to spar. Um, how important is it that you get those shows and you you kind of process that information as you develop your style, your own personal style? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 vital because uh, it's like so, it's like when I was a soccer player, you feel more comfortable when you've been in those situations before. Mm-hmm. So you play in enough big games. You get to play another big game, it doesn't phase you as much because you feel like you're in that setting again. Right. It just makes sense. Uh, but when you've never been there, you can get nervous and give you rattling. When I first started, I would get nervous doing digital. Mm-hmm. And it's just something mm-hmm. where if you screw, if you mess up, it's okay, we'll just record it again. And it, it would it's very nerve-wracking. It's one thing doing an interview like I'm doing with you guys right now, talking about my, myself because it's situations that I've known. I'm just telling you situations I've been in. But then when I have to dissect a play or analyze a certain situation of why they're doing it, mm-hmm. how this happened, things like that. Yeah. And it's not just my my opinion. I'm in a panel and all of a sudden somebody uses what I was going to say and I was like, oh, jeez, <laughs> right. where do I go now? You know, And you have to kind of find different ways to say something that's relevant that people... Because 
won't think you're an idiot for because majority of the time this TV thing whatever you say is going to be dissected and you're either like alright well he's not so much of an idiot or you're an idiot there's really no in between <laughs> yeah. how, how difficult is it covering for, uh, former player uh, players that you played with or played against yeah thankfully I, I don't I never enjoyed when people were critical of players I would rather anal- analyze the situations and I, I, I'd like to say that I've nev- I haven't said anything to date that a certain player can come up to me and be like hey What's going on with this? Mm-hmm. Well, if I said something and you think it's wrong, tell me what it was and we'll go from there. But I've never, I've never put myself in a situation where I had to bash somebody. And I think that's, that's what I'd like to keep doing going forward right. is put myself in situations where I analyze the play or the game and not so much the person so it's not personal. Last question for me. Uh, stylistically, as a former men's national team player uh, who played under two managers who were very different, uh, where do you think we are uh, as a program? Because uh, it seems like even though we, we take these baby steps, stylistically, we haven't really evolved. Yeah. Um, as a program in soccer, uh, you know, what's great is you look at the national team now with the amount of young players coming through the system, and it's refreshing. Uh, where these players are playing, the opportunities and looks they're getting, mm-hmm. and there's so many in the pipeline that haven't reached surface level yet because a lot of people only see that surface level, so I'm excited. That said... Uh, development in this country is ex- it's, it's, it's still lacking. And it's uh, for the resources we have, I mean, U.S. soccer had a $130 million surplus, I think, for, yeah. for the, you know, the Copa America year alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be funneling a lot of that money into coaching and developing those yeah. coaches. Right. We talk about developing players. Well, if the play- if people who are trying to develop these players aren't up to task, then what are we doing? Mm-hmm. So we have to develop those. We have to identify a talent still think for it's a big country so players are going to fall into the crack but with all the different styles of soccer or football we love to watch on tv mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get a certain generation play a certain way at a younger age so we need to develop different ways or different players uh and and identify them because there's still a lot of latin american kids mm-hmm. uh, mexican american kids specifically that are jumping ship and, and going to to mexico to try to apply their uh, you know their their right. trade and Liga Mekis. Actually, I have one more question. I'm going to follow up on that. You were uh, you came up in a generation of young Mexican American kids in this country, uh, Hispanic American kids that a lot of them fell through the cracks. You didn't, and you were able to play in MLS. You were able to win an MLS well, Cup. I would still say I fell through the cracks because I didn't. I wasn't recruited to go to school. I couldn't afford to play ODP. Um, they charged for ODP like one day camps, a hundred dollars. I didn't have the money to do that. I, if it wasn't for um, my the club I play for and the people involved and you know scholarship pretty much that they would give me to play there I wouldn't have had those opportunities. Mm. Uh, I I found success, you know, um, kind of by accident. It was unheard of. I played in the USL team after coming back from Mexico, playing in lower divisions, and played against the Galaxy, and they saw me and kind of went from there. But it doesn't happen that much. It's still we're still. I think here in this country, a lot of times the coaching that we have, they they equate uh, physical talents over you know technical yeah, ability yeah, sometimes, yeah, and yeah. that could be yeah. detrimental when you get older as 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 the technical or as the physical talents end up kind of evening out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Are uh, are we doing a better job of that than we did when you came up? Because oh, absolutely. Because now you have academies, you have these MLS academies, and now the thing is, you also have more competition. Um, now there's Alianza, which is a tournament that that's hosted in all over the Western United States. Yeah, and USL works with them. Yeah, and and these kids are, are literally it's a showcase for Liga Mekis clubs, yeah. and and 
it shouldn't just be a showcase for League of Mechies clubs. This is right. our own backyard. MLS should be there valuing these players as well. And, you know, when I was in Tijuana, I met a lot of these kids come and visit and they mm-hmm. do like a two-day visit in Tijuana and I talk to them and they have 14 other offers from different Liga Mekis clubs mm. and mm. how are they good enough for 14 different Liga Mekis clubs but not one MLS club right. so yeah. there needs to be better ways of identifying and, and, and keeping this talent here okay so we're here with Steve Palacy and uh, we want to ask some questions about ESPN FC catching up on that show so Kartik over to you yes yeah, Steve you keep, keep getting the top English language talent to join you on this show, whether it's a Rafa Honigstein or a Sid Lowe, a Gamarcati, you have regularly, have them almost every day. Uh, talk about the process of getting the best written journalists, best print journalists in Europe on your set uh, regularly. Yeah, it, it, um, the, the real answer is it's kind of been going on for a long time. So uh, we, you know, we used to do a show called Press Pass where um, a lot of the guests uh, came from England. We had, uh, you know, I, I was introduced to a lot of these guys through either Derek Ray or, you know, then you, you meet Stuart Robson and, and Gab Marcotti and you say to them, hey, what guys do you respect? Who do you think are the best guys out there? Uh, I, would, I would watch guys on UK television and see who I thought was good and who, who wasn't. And, <clears throat> I, excuse me, I look for guys who uh, kind of have a little bit of a different perspective. So, you know, like you have a Gab, a Raf, and like uh, Sid Lowe or Julian Lorenz, yeah. all, all people who uh, are not necessarily from the country that they're covering. So it, 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 their mind works a little bit different. So they always have a little bit of a reference point that's different. So when Sid looks at things that are going on in La Liga, he, can, he automatically knows that the people who, who are in England or maybe the U.S., these things might be interesting. This might be a quirky thing that... Whereas if you had somebody who's from Spain, it'd all be normal to them because that, that you know, and, and, and in England, we all know that there's so many people who are kind of doing the same thing that, you know, and, and we actually have a really good one now in Mark Ogden who's, who breaks a lot yeah. of stories. But um, it, it's, it's just difficult to find like a different perspective for a long, it's changing now, but for a long time, it was kind of like everybody would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, these, these guys were all guys who said something different, and, and that's what I, I really like. You keep it fresh. You bring in guys like Stuart Robson for a week at a time from England, Brian McBride, uh, Casey Keller. Uh, what's the process of doing that? Because you bring in, for example, McBride to bring him in for three or four straight days, and then we won't see him for a month. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, to, to be honest, a lot of that is based on scheduling of other guys when they're off, when they're, you know, so we have... We have um, a good rotation of people that can come in and fill in. And the other part of it is logistics. So, you know, like Brian lives in Chicago. Yeah. If, if he's going to come in, we're going to bring him in for three days. And then, uh, you know, it's, it, the back and forth. You're not going to just bring him in for one show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like with Store Robson, he'll come over for a week at a time. Right. Um, you know, with him, uh, we have a camera in London uh, in, our, in our Disney building there where he can come on from there. So he's, he stays connected and he's also doing a little bit more digital stuff with us on FC.com. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the idea, the reason we have so many guys is I just wanted to be able to have the right people to talk about the right things, you know. And, and it, to me, when you're doing a, a daily show like this, especially about this sport, if it was just the same guys every day, a lot of it is repetitive, especially this time of year with transfers. It, like, you, you want to, I, I think you want to hear different perspectives and different takes on all this stuff. So that's, that's why we have such a deep, 
Well, without well, rights as actually, the anchor. Oh, go ahead. Well, what is it about, say, uh, what ESPN does in terms of uh, bringing in this talent that makes them feel more comfortable on the set? And, and I'll give an example of Brian McBride. At Fox, he was, it was a little bit static. It didn't seem very comfortable in front of the camera. But ESPN, this is more relaxed. This is more opinionated. It's given us his analysis. Is there something behind the scenes that you guys are doing as far as any training or, or is, is it a different approach? Yeah, I think it's different for, for different people. I... I, I my own philosophies I try and te- uh, work with each of them differently based on wh- where they're at um, I think I think Brian responds well to the conversational aspect so you know this show's a little bit different a lot, a lot of uh, you know other shows haven't had the luxury of, of a, having a daily show where, where it's more conversation based so I, th- I think that fits him well and fits a lot of people well so you can kind of just slot in and, and I always say to the guys you know just just pretend you're talking like you would before the show right. and then and then we can update it from there it's, it's really not uh, you know when guys start worrying about looking in this camera and doing this you know that comes with time mm-hmm. but you don't want that to be what you're thinking about when someone's asking you about Arsenal you know you want to just right. be able to give your opinion so that we, we try and keep it as loose and relaxed as possible and, and you know I give a lot of credit uh, for anyone's performance to the guys we have hosting the show, whether it's Dan or Sebastian, they're, mm-hmm. they're very good at like kind of pushing the buttons and and really getting stuff out of the guys, which is d- a difficult skill to have. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just ask people uh, a flat question and and they give you just the, you know they might give you a long boring answer, and then if you're not you know Dan has the he's you know he's cheeky, so yeah. he can yeah yeah he can, he can jump in <laughs> and, and he can get away with saying things to people that other people can't. And and that's it's a skill, you know. Right. He's really good at it. And yeah. I think it brings the best out of a lot of guys on the show. You don't have a league anymore to anchor your your your, your uh, ESPN FC program, obviously MLS. But beyond that, you don't have any uh, major European leagues. You have the Euros. You have this ICC, which has been great. It's been great for the show the last two weeks. But how is it that you've been able to keep it fresh and keep so much of your talent? Uh, on the show, Shaka, Craig, uh, Steve Nichol, all these guys who I'm sure could could go somewhere else uh, at your network and, and happy on the set. <laughs> well, you'd have to ask them why they're happy, but no, I, I like to think it's a you know it's a pretty stable thing. Uh, in addition to in addition to the show, uh, we have the ESPNFC.com video yeah. stuff. So these guys are coming. You know, there's always a ton for us to do. Uh, in addition to being on in the United States, the show's on in the UK, it's on in India, it's on in Africa, it's it's on in the Pac Rim, it's on in the Caribbean. So um, they're able to speak to a worldwide audience while also doing a show for the United States. And, and that show that goes out in those other regions is quite different. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll take out the U.S. content and substitute uh, stuff that's more relevant to different regions. So... Uh, it's kind of the only operation like that that I think is going on in the world, except for something like Premier League Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, you know, it's a it's a stable thing in that regard. And I, and I, and I, the big thing I think for everyone is I think everybody has a good time doing the show. I mean, I think they get along well with each other, and it's a relaxed atmosphere and and. It's a, you know, it's a really good group of guys. Speak so. to that uh, real quickly. I know we're running low on time. Uh, playing traffic cop. You've got one segment, which is MLS. You bring Herc Gomez on. Uh, Ali stays for that segment, obviously. Uh, that, and uh, then you have the next segment. It's England. And you've got Steve Nichol, and you've got Burley, and you've got maybe Brian McBride comes on the set. How do you manage all that? Because you're bringing guys on and off, and you bring Gab on by satellite for that mm-hmm. segment. Um, I think it's a half-an-hour show, but it seems a massive undertaking because you have comings and goings, yeah, and you yeah. have specific segments geared to specific audiences 
And as we were talking with Sebastian earlier, audiences that don't necessarily interact with each yeah. other. Maybe they need to interact with the, each other more, but they don't. Right. Uh, how do you balance that on the show? Yeah, I mean, my, my, my goal has always been that, like, I try and look at it, like, as a, as a fan would. And I say, well, who would I want to hear talk about this? And if it's Gab, then we're going to have Gab on the segment. And if it's... And, I, and all the guys understand that. You know, I'm very, we're very open with them and say, okay, the, you know, we're going to have Sid on a little longer here because he has this information and he can provide this. And, and all the guys are, are, you know, like I said, it's a great group of, group of guys. And I think part of it is that we do, you know, if you, if you sit in for the show taping, we're doing all these different versions for all these different... So it's not like anybody can even keep track of, oh, I wasn't in that segment, I was in this right. segment. But maybe if they watch it back, they might be, say that. Yeah. But overall, everyone's involved in so much stuff during the day, whether they're doing digital hits or going on SportsCenter, that by the end of the day, they've they've done play. One last question. Uh, What is the future of the show? The show uh, is doing incredibly well among core soccer fans. Mm -hmm. People I talk to, uh, they watch the show every day like I do. We're we're always making comments with one another about what Craig Burley said the previous night. Mm -hmm. I think that drives a lot of the conversation. Uh, but do you feel like uh, you have an upward growth trajectory, or are you kind of there now? Yeah, I think it kind of mirrors the growth of the sport. You know, I think I think all of it. You know, as much as we've seen things take off overall, it's a it's a slow a slow grow. And the thing that I've really noticed with with the show since we've been on here in the U.S. every day is, you know, when we go places now, people are noticing the guys and taking pictures and coming up to them, and you know, it, it's it's great. Like we definitely have this this kind of core audience. Now, whether you can get outside of that core audience, I think what's more likely is that the core audience grows, yeah. right? So that more people become soccer fans and they get into it. Um, I don't think there's much of a crossover, you know, like, it, it, like no one's going to turn on a show and hear us talking about soccer and say, oh, you know what? I really like soccer. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be soccer fans. Yeah, right. And as, as we'll grow as the sport grows in this country. And it's, you know, I mean, we're, we're about to do this this classic, you know, we went over to this Casa Classico next door, and there's, you know, a thousand people in there. And it's, a, it's an afternoon, so it's, okay. it's really quite amazing. And you guys, it happened five years ago. Yeah, no, exactly. So. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Thank you, yeah, no problem. Thank you for everything. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All right, Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football.